Blog Talk Radio. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Let's A Straight Show. It is Friday, July 24th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Hope you're having a good week. It is over. It's the weekend, everyone. Woohoo! My interns have the night off again. We are on our last night of pre-taped interviews. We're going to be going to live interviews every day starting next week. There will be a couple mixed in pre-tapes, but we are going to start off with a live interview every day from here on out as long as we can, and our guests still have the time to call in. But uh, we're going to have a great show for you in just a little bit here. A couple of interviews, one I just taped this afternoon and one I taped yesterday. Two great interviews I'll talk about in just a second, but let's talk about last night's show. We did a very special Music Monday on a Thursday, two great music interviews last night. So much fun. I always love talking to our musician friends out there, excellent singers, songwriters, all the above. So we started out last night with the acapella group T3 joined me. They are Jim Hogan, Liam Fennekin, and Brendan Jacob Smith. Uh, Liam and Jim are both Broadway actors, been on touring companies all over the world. Uh, Brendan acted in college and still acts on occasion, but is a full-time singer as well. And together they have made this amazing acapella sound called T3. And we talked to them yesterday from a special undisclosed location in a beautiful New York where they were putting some new music together in isolation there. So a great talk with them yesterday. And then from L.A., I got to talk to actor, singer, songwriter Caleb Rudy. He has a new song out called Teen Movie that's just like the trailer for a great teen movie for the summer. Uh, we talked about his music career and his acting a bit and had a great conversation there as well. So if you missed last night's episode, be sure to go to your favorite podcast distributor, hit the little subscribe button so you never miss them again, and you'll always get notified when a new episode is up, and you can decide if it's people you want to listen to or not. And if you do listen to it, please like it and give it a five-star rating. That way more people find the episodes in the search ranking. So I appreciate that as well. So go listen to last night's episode when you have a chance. It was a lot of fun, and you'll get to hear some great music. Tonight, in just a couple minutes, we're going to have our Friday Fitness Minute with our special correspondent, Jake Taylor, is going to be calling in from L.A. I always like to have Jake on. You never know if we're going to get a little fitness tip as far as exercise or nutrition or just things to make our body go, hmm. So we'll have Jake on just a couple seconds. And I have two great interviews. Like I said, I pre-taped one just this afternoon and pre-taped the other yesterday. First up, we're going to have an amazing artist. His name is Scott Clark. He has even a more amazing story of his life growing up and the struggles that he went through and how he's turned his art into fantastic line of greeting cards and pictures and books he's put together doing some Famous celebrity sketches that you'll just absolutely fall in love with. He has done books for Barbara Streisand, for Lonnie Anderson, for uh, Bette Midler, for the iconic Cher. His character of Cher was on her birthday cake, and he got a phone call from Cher about it. You're going to be excited to hear that story. So he'll be up first just a couple of seconds, and he made his very own cartoon of me, 
that is on my social media. So check that out at, at Left of Straight on Twitter and Instagram. Then we're going to have filmmaker Dafina Roberts on. She is from New York City, and she's done some amazing work um, working for some big companies like Viacom and MTV and a lot of places you have heard of. She's worked with Sundance Film Festival, Tribeca Film Festival. She is the executive producer, writer, and director of a great series called Giving Me Life in the Land of the Deadass. And we'll talk about what that means and that great series what it's all about. So two excellent interviews tonight. We're going to get to it in just a moment after we talk to Jake. There's a lot of stuff going on in LGBT news, but we just don't have the time today because both these interviews, I enjoyed talking to them and ran a little long. So I will do lots of news on Monday. I do want to let you know that I am starting a brand new political show on Monday. Uh, going to have two co-hosts on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, my friend Michael Vega an amazing actor out of Hollywood will be joining me on the show. And on Tuesday and Thursday, Brandon Carmody from Portland, Oregon, who runs the GBC Radio Network, will be joining as co-host. We're going to be talking about politics. It is Monday is the official 100 days before the election. So we're calling the show The Last 100 Days, question mark. We're going to be talking about politics and all sorts of fun things. That on Monday's premiere episode, we have an amazing interview with the man responsible for these really cool statues going up all over Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, it's called the Trump Statue Initiative, and they're live-action statues. So true-to-life statues where these people are being painted to look like statues of Trump in not his finest hour. And I love it. And the creator of it is Brian Buckley. He is an amazing writer, producer, director in his own rank. He's had two Academy Award nominations. He is known as the king of the Super Bowl. He's done over 20 ads on the Super Bowl that have just crushed it over the years. So he is going to be our very first guest to kick off the episode, and I can't be more excited about it. So look for that on, it's just going to be a streaming show. It's not going to be on the Left of Straight Network. We're just going to put it out there and you'll be able to find it. I'll let you know Monday where you can find that those episodes. So let's go ahead and get into it here with Jake. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have, like I said, a couple of great interviews for you today with artist Scott Clark and filmmaker Dafina Roberts. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show. Jake, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Scott. I am phenomenal. I am super excited for today's podcast interview, and the reason why is because I'm talking about something that I think is very important and something that a lot of people don't necessarily have the answers to or might feel a little bit overwhelmed about. So today, I want to talk about the qualities to look for in personal training and finding your own personal trainer. Now, let's go ahead and go back to the basics. Let's break it down. Qualities to look for in a personal trainer. First and foremost, you got to find a trainer that is personable, somebody that you can see yourself spending upwards of five hours a week with. And you think, well, five hours a week isn't a whole lot because you have 168 hours a week that you can spend doing a whole bunch of different stuff. But the reality is, is that you spend an hour of your time trusting this person, listening to their guidance, being mentored by them, reaching out to them if you need some stretching advice or if you feel pain in any one area. So this person isn't just that one hour. This person ends up being your 
fitness guru for all intents and purposes. So let's go ahead and go through it. So first and foremost, the first quality to find in a personal trainer is somebody who is non-judgmental, right? Because we live in a society today where we're judged by the way we look, the way we act, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we love. I mean, it's, it's a never ending list. So find a personal trainer that the second that you talk about your goals or your challenges or the reasons why you quit fitness, that first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, that they come at it with the approach of love and understanding. That is so fundamental and so important. The next step is somebody who's going to hold you accountable, but without shame, because there's so much shame surrounding fitness especially the vanity aspect of it. So finding somebody who's able to hold you accountable and make you feel like these goals are attainable and these goals should be important to you because you find them important, but without doing it with that language of like, you should feel bad because you're not showing up to your sessions or you should feel bad that you ate that cheeseburger last night. Girl, do you know how many personal trainers eat cheeseburgers? Don't be throwing that stuff at me. No, ma'am, no shame. That's not my game. Accountability without shame, okay? The third step is communication. You should have a personal trainer that is highly communicative. Even though it might be something that you don't want to hear, they should be able to relay that to you in a way that you can digest or you can at least have a conversation about. And this can be something as simple as goals, or this can be something as complicated as kinesiology or biometrics or biomechanics, okay? The fourth is knowledgeable. Okay, it's very important to find a personal trainer who is knowledgeable. I'm not talking finding the like dictionary or the encyclopedia of personal trainers, somebody who just knows so much information, because let me tell you something, somebody who knows all the information about the body is not a fun personal trainer to be with, because most often they don't necessarily have the personality to back it up. And I'm telling you, if you want a great personal trainer, you're going to want somebody who is knowledgeable but always willing to learn and is also very personable and fun to be around, a whole package. Typically, people who think they know everything about fitness are people who are not willing to learn, and that should be a giant red flag for you. If you ever hear a personal trainer saying, I have a lot of knowledge, here's my background, here's what I can do, and I'm always willing to reshape for you, that already tells someone that that personal trainer has checked their ego at the door. And that is so fundamentally important because in fitness and science and any sort of idea where you start putting math or mechanics, biomechanics, kinesiology, physics, all this stuff into play, it starts to develop an ego. So I would highly encourage anybody who's looking for a personal trainer to very, very quickly listen to that red flag. If somebody is not willing to learn, they should not be a personal trainer for you. In fact, they shouldn't be a personal trainer at all. Next, we have reliability. You should have a personal trainer who is reliable, somebody who will show up when they say they show up. If somebody says that they're going to give you homework, they give you homework. If they say they're going to adapt the homework, they adapt the homework. And if they say they're going to deliver X, Y, or Z in that session, you should be looking for X, Y, and Z. And as much as you should be showing up for the personal trainer because it is their time. It is their money. You should be respecting them. At the same time, you have your own goals and you should, you care about your goals. You care about moving forward, progressing, feeling better about yourself. It doesn't matter what your body type is. Fitness is all about feeling better about yourself in whatever capacity that means 
for you. So finding a personal trainer who is reliable and is willing to give you these things that they promised is very important. And it's okay for you to demand that out of them. Hey, you said that you were going to give me a high intensity interval training session today. I was really excited about it, but you gave me strength training instead. Is there any reason why, you know, and if that personal trainer can't give you an answer to me, that's a red flag of like, you're not reliable. You might be flying off the cuff. You might be like doing things that don't make sense to me and you're not giving me a chance to explain it to me. And that wraps back around to communication next open to change. And this wraps into knowledgeable. So open to change to me, screams somebody who's able to be adaptable because in training, especially personal training, it is literally, you can build the world's best program, but if your client comes in with an ankle that's rolled or back pain, or they pick something up wrong, or they slam their shoulder, or they got into a car accident, God forbid, or whatever ended up happening, you have to be able to adapt to that. If you come into a session and you're just not feeling 100%, Let's say you didn't sleep well the night before, your partner kept you up, your baby kept you up, your dog kept you up, and you say, hey, listen, I'm feeling like a solid 6 out of 10 today, and if your trainer's like, great, I've got a 10 out of 10, they're already not open to change, and that should be another red flag for you. So it's okay for you to be able to convey, I'm feeling a solid 7 out of 10 today, I want to do 7 out of 10 worth of work. And that trainer should be able to adapt to that, still make it difficult, but be able to modify it in a way that makes you feel like you've done enough in the session, but you didn't push yourself so hard that you're going to regret going into the session to begin with. And lastly, relationship-oriented. And this is hyper-important. I, as a personal trainer, as a certified professional personal trainer, this is my absolute, like, golden rule. Relationship-oriented. I want to build rapport from the second that that person walks into the room with me. I want them to feel like they've known me for years. And that's very important. And it's a very difficult skill that I've had to hone over the years. If you walk into a room and the personal trainer treats you like another paycheck, that's a big no-no because guess what? You are paying service for good, but it's not called personal training for nothing. Okay. Listen, it's not personal training for nothing. Demand that your personal trainer gets personal with you. And part of that is you opening up and being a little bit more vulnerable about your goals or maybe reasons why you can't work out or you feel like you're not comfortable working out. But honestly, the onus is on the personal trainer to get that out of you and to make you feel comfortable in understanding that. And those are basically all of my golden rules, okay, with relationship-oriented at the top. So I'm going to go back through these again. We have non-judgmental, accountability without shame, which is a big one, communicative, knowledgeable, reliable, open to change, and relationship-oriented. And I want to go ahead and finish off this interview with a quick little booty blast. Now, it is thick season. Everybody loves a thick guy or girl or person. And I want to go ahead and show this with you because this has helped me build my booty to where I want it to be. And I think it'll help a lot of you. Okay. So for our booty blast circuit, we have lateral lunges, three by 15 for three rounds. So three sets, 15 reps, three times. From there, we've got glute bridges. We're going to go three by 30 by three. So three sets, 30 reps, three times. And we're going to finish off with step ups. If you live in an apartment, go to your... Um, your staircase or your stairwell. If you live in a house, if it's a two-story, great. If it's a one-story, great. Um, 
and we have this for three by 15 by three, okay? And all this is gonna do is it is going to make your booty large, delicious, and gorgeous. Or if you don't want it large, it's gonna make it toned and gorgeous as well, okay? I'm super excited that I got to share this week with you guys. If you guys have any questions, DM me at Taylor uh, on Instagram. And until next time, you guys stay delicious and demand, 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 because you guys are worth it and you guys are beautiful. Happy Pride all year round. Black Lives Matter. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Jake. Thanks for that, buddy. That was fantastic. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> How well, are we'll you? Stay on the line, course. We're going to go ahead and play a little song out. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to have my interview with Scott Clark, the artist from Maryland. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I wanna write you this letter. I'm trying hard to get better. So my heart flows from pen to paper. But forgive me if it's not your answer.
Trying hard to get better. So my heart flows from pen to paper. But forgive me if it's not your answer.
All righty, friends, we are back. That was David Hernandez from American Idol with Sorry. And, guys, I'm definitely not sorry that one of our listeners reached out and asked me to check out my next guest on Instagram, fell in love with his work. Uh, He has an unbelievable personal upbringing story. He's battled addiction challenges and overcame them and created his art and eventually combined it with his wry and witty sense of humor where his drawings have now earned the attention of fans and celebrities alike. There's not many artists I know whose drawings have popped chairs at birth, even led to bringing him back to his love of singing. I'm excited to share his story with you for the first time here on the Left of Straight Show. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Scott Clark. Scott, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Wow, you made me sound so wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, you absolutely are, my friend. I tell you, we had a listener reach out and say, Hey, I love this guy on Instagram. You should check him out. And I did. And wow, so talented. Uh, Amazing story. And I'm so happy you're taking the time to come on, my friend. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled. No worries. Well, artists I know, and I'm fortunate to know a few, I'm very lucky, are either very introverted or very social. You kind of seem to be the social type. How have you been doing with all the quarantine craziness? Are you super creative, or are you just kind of enjoying it and relaxing a bit? You know what? I, I was – this quarantine doesn't bother me at all because I've never really been the kind that to go – I'm not the big social butterfly type anyway, so being locked in the house is – I have a gym in my house, and and my art is here. And I kind of like working in the yard and stuff. So it hasn't really hugely affected me at all. I'm, there you I'm go. Actually, That's good. I'm enjoying it. I, for, usually when, I'm, when I stay home and I'm not doing anything, I'm thinking to myself all the stuff that I'm probably missing. That through this <laughs> quarantine, I've just, I haven't really been missing anything, so it's even made it better. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. No keeping up with the Joneses because the Joneses ain't doing nothing. Nobody's exactly. doing anything. Exactly, they're stuck home too. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Very cool. Well, I'm so excited to talk about your art in a little bit. We have lots of stuff to go over, but let's start with a little background. I mean, had kind of a rough upbringing, as I alluded to. Share with you what you're comfortable with on growing up and what kind of a kid were you growing up? Well, uh, I was adopted, and I was adopted at um, nine months old, and um, I was abandoned as a child, as an infant, and um, it's kind of a long backstory, but I'll put that in the bio one day, but um, I was adopted (laughs) into a wonderful family who my mother, my my new mother, my my adoptive mother, rather, um, they were looking for a child, and she said our eyes met, and it was kind of like she knew she had to to take me. And I was raised by this great family. We never had a lot of money, but we were raised in a beach community, and we had the the best childhood. We were always on the beach, and we we you know we, we were crabbing and fishing and laying in the sun and just playing hide and go seek all night long, and it was just a great childhood. But then um, as I grew older, as a teenager, I knew that I was different, and I knew um, I didn't feel like everybody else. And and to make it it worse, I was overweight, and I had crooked teeth, and um, I was bullied in school for all different reasons. And 
it mm. just made me more of an more of an introvert and kind of sucked into myself and um that kind of led me to um delving into alcohol and then later drugs which I spent in my 20s and probably through all my 20s I was I drank continuously and I wasn't the kind of person that could just have one drink I would drink until I right. couldn't drink anymore and um, then one day I ended up, I was in a relationship with a wonderful woman and we had a child, we were never married but we lived together and and we had a, a beautiful daughter and her name is Destiny and um, she is just the light of my life, we don't talk much lately mm. because she's in her early 20s now and she's got her own little <laughs> life going on so, right. but um, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to make this all. I'm giving you the short version. <laughs> and, I understand. Um, no problem. So there was one day when she was uh, about four years old, and I was sitting in the kitchen, and I was drunk, and I looked at her, and she was walking through the kitchen, and I thought, I don't want her to remember me this way. And so um, I thought, I don't want her to grow up and think that this is acceptable behavior to be drunk in the middle of the afternoon. So I got out the phone book, and this was quite a few years ago when we had phone books, and um, I was (laughs) going to call AA. I had tried everything to quit drinking and and everything, and nothing worked. And um, so I thought, well, I'll try an AA meeting. And I got the phone book out, and I accidentally called AAA, which (laughs) was a big mistake. (laughs) They're they're not going to help you much. Right, exactly. They just give me a ride to an AA meeting. Um, (laughs) I got a hold of an AA meeting around the corner and I have not had a drink since that next day and it's been, it'll be 19 years in uh, November. Oh, wow. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. And I kind of, and I don't look at it as an accomplishment because I think that, you know, I should have been sober all along anyway, you know. You know it's, it's, to some people, it's a it's a celebration. To me, it's not not really a celebration. The reason I tell people about it, like I just told you, is not so somebody says, oh, congratulations, oh, you're so awesome, or you know how you did that, blah, blah, blah. The reason I tell you is because I, there's somebody somewhere who might be listening right now who hears right. that and thinks to themselves, if he can do that, why can't I do that? If he can do it, then I can do it. That's why Love I that. tell people about it. Yeah, and and that to me that means more to me than anything that I can share that little story and hopefully somebody somewhere hears it and needed to hear that right then and there. You know, I don't go to AA well, very often anymore because I took the tools from it that I needed to my life. But every once in a while I'll go to a meeting just because I have a feeling somebody there might need to hear my story. So, you know, that's what it's all about. I think that's why we're here. We're here to use our gifts and to to be the best that we can be, and in turn, we're inspiring other people to be the best that they can be. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and and good on you for yeah. picking that out. A lot of people don't. It's, it's a tough lesson to learn for a lot of people. A lot of people are so yeah. self-focused that they kind of forget about the greater good. And I think there is a such thing as greater good, and we need to focus on that. And once we start working towards that, I think we will repair and 
fix our own life and make our own life even better. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's fantastic. Oh, it's it's wonderful, and it's 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 true, you know. And people tell me, um, you know, they don't they can't find their gift, or they don't they they don't know what purpose they were they are for being here. You know, many people are put here. We all have gifts. And we're all put here for a different purpose. And some of the purposes right. aren't as glamorous as some of the other purposes. But, you know, if you find your purpose and you develop it and you, you work with it and put all your energy towards your purpose, you're inspiring all those other people around you that are looking at you to find their purpose. And it just it gives me right. goosebumps to think about it. I just love that. No, that is awesome. I, I definitely love every bit of that. Well, and and talk about that change amongst yourself. Did you have did it just change your relationship with everybody else? And how how was that kind of transformation? I was kind of see what broke the addiction cycle is obviously your daughter now, but how did that kind of affect the rest of your life and what was going on? I don't have any friends now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It did. My there whole life go. changed. My whole everything. When you get rid of the, when you get rid of the addiction, when you get rid of that, and whatever the addiction is, or whatever the the situation was that was dragging you down a dark hole, suddenly right. you have to get rid of everything that has anything to do with that. And a lot of times, when you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, your relationships go away. Not because you want them to, but because those people were comfortable with the addict. Those people, right. even though they hated it, even though they, they, they didn't want you to be that, that's who they loved. And when you're not that anymore, they're lost. So they, a lot of times people will leave you because they don't know who you are anymore. And it's, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not, you know, we all grow and, and we all, you know, people come in and out of our lives. And I'm still very close to a lot of people that I was before, but it's it's totally different than than it was. You know, you have to change your habits. You have to change your, your relationships. Um, I was lucky because when I got out of, when I finally got out of the, the alcohol binging, I found my artwork. And I had been drawing all along here and there and off and on and doing, you know, little little this and a little of that. But I dove into it 100%, and it filled that void. It filled that, that spot of alcohol, you know, that, that, that I was using to, you know, to mask all the, the unhappiness. But you learn a lot, too. I mean, I could go – we could talk two or three hours just about this. But, I mean, I <laughs> – uh, it's well. It's true. I mean, I I I learned a lot. I learned like, um, like now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> I learned that's okay. We'll have so to... many different things <laughs> about my myself, and and you know, it's like I said, I could talk for hours about that, but I won't go in. You know, go into all that. Well, and I also like asking people where they found their tribe. I mean, you, you say you're definitely a loner now and everything and not really an outgoing person as far as going out in social life. But talk about the tribe you found since then and who is who would you consider your tribe now? I've learned to depend on me. I've learned that. That's important. Yeah. 
I've gotten tougher over the years, and this and this isn't always a good thing. You know, I, I, I've, I, I guess I should be more open, and I should, you know, get back into more socializing and stuff like that. But at this point in my life, it's I depend on me, and when and when I have a bad day or when things go wrong, I face it head on and and you know get it get upset about it and get it over with and then move it away and move on to the next thing and i don't spend go. a lot of time feeling sorry for myself or or what am i going to do now or blah 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 because that's all wasted energy you have to take you have to take what energy you have and use it towards what is the next right if that makes sense right no um, it does perfectly i talk to my daughter occasionally um i've you know i've, I've tried to set only set an example for her at and I've explained to her that, you know, you need to depend on yourself and you need to be the best you that you can be. And financially, emotionally, everything, be the best that you can be that way. And don't depend on somebody else because when you do, when a relationship does come along, then you can be in it because you want to be and not because you have to be. Does that make right. sense? No, it does. You know, be, I love that. You don't want to be in a relationship ever with anybody, whether it's a friend, a lover, or whatever, where you're dependent on that person for something. Right. You want to be there with well them said. because you want to be. You know, and that's and, and that's where I feel like I kind of am now. If, if something comes along or somebody comes along, friend, lover, whatever, then I'll be able to be there because I want to be. I don't have to be there because I need them in in any aspect, you know. And, right. And so, right now, I guess I'm just a selfish asshole. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sometimes we have to be to get to our true best self. So that's good. And yeah, I'm just that, it's, I'm just more focused. I'm very right. focused on my art, my art right now because I'm in my 50s and I'm thinking, you know what? You're only going to be able to do this for so much longer, and then your hands are going to start shaking from arthritis, and you're not going to be able to draw very good. So you need to do the best you can do now. <laughs> so I'm, well, I'm let's really segue focused into on that, that. Art, then, because – go ahead. Go ahead. Finish that sentence. Because uh, I don't go out and, and socialize and all that, but it's it's not because – it's just I'm really into my art, and I really enjoy it, and it's therapy mm-hmm. for me, and it's – it's my it's my relationship right now, and you know if somebody wonderful came along tomorrow, I maybe maybe I put it aside for a while. I don't know. We'll see. There you go. All right, but, the possibilities are endless. I like it. Yeah. Well, let's delve into that art and talk about it. I mean, you are basically self-taught. You said you went to art class for a while, but it just wasn't for you. Talk about how you kind of learned your style. I mean, you do these amazing caricatures and everything. But where where do you feel you developed your style at or from? When I was little, I was an only child. Uh, when I was adopted, my mother never she could my my adopted mother couldn't have children, so she didn't have any more. And I had lots of cousins, but I was still alone a lot. And I would sit and draw and draw for hours and hours and hours. And when I was little, all the way up to being a teenager, that's you know I didn't have a lot of friends then because you know because I was you know different and I was overweight and I was crooked teeth and all that stuff I told you before. And um, I used to draw the Flintstones and I used to copy off the Hanna-Barbera style and like the Jetsons and the Flintstones and stuff like that. 
and I would go to school, and I, in art class, I would watch what the other people did, what the other kids did, and I would take a little bit from this person. Like I copied this one girl, the way she would draw hair, and then I would, this other kid, I would draw feet the way he drew them. And, and after a while, I developed my own way of doing it. And I think that's with anything. You take a little bit of other people's style, and you put it all together, and you come up with something wonderful for yourself. And right. um, that's how it started. I used to draw share back then when I was a kid. I would pull out these books and records and stuff like that. And I would love to draw her in the different costumes. And um, one time I would make books, little, you know, little books. And I, I, one time I made the whole Poseidon Adventure into a book and drew every single scene from the Poseidon Adventure. Wow, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And then, um, then I piddled through, you know, the next 20 years drinking and everything. And then, um, right before I stopped drinking, I decided to create a greeting card line. I was going to, I was going to draw cartoons into greeting cards. And I remember telling somebody one day I'm going to draw for famous people. And, (laughs) and I, you know, I thought I really want to do this. So I did um, created a line of greeting cards, and then my um, a relative of mine developed breast cancer, and I didn't know a whole lot about breast cancer, but I wanted to help in some way, and I couldn't figure out how I could help because I'm a man, and you know men do get it, but I really wasn't well educated on it. So I started looking into it and um, writing poetry about breast cancer survivors, um, and humorous stuff and inspirational stuff and created a whole line of uh, breast cancer awareness greeting cards and and merchandise and stuff and i worked with a lot of breast cancer survivors and learned a lot about it and helped them and and a lot of that art is still floating around out there and, and i use it here and there and um got my start then i started integrating celebrity faces into the breast cancer, like I did Oprah doing a breast exam and Ellen doing a breast exam and Martha Stewart <laughs> and on these cartoons of these people. So then I went from that into um, the more of the celebrity things, and, and that's kind of where I got about. That was where I was about 10 years ago. Right. That's how that all came about. And you talk about getting back to breast cancer. That's part of your thing is you're really into helping other people, which I love when I was doing the research. I mean, you you teach right now with elderly and developmentally disabled. You've done some great work with the Children's Craniofacial Association. Uh, oh, yeah, I love that. By giving back for a book there. I mean, talk about this feeling of giving back. Um, where does this come from? That comes from God or Buddha, or whatever you want to call it, we all, whatever your higher power is. Right. That comes from, I really honestly, honestly believe if you're given a gift, which I have been blessed and I've been given these amazing gifts, then use them to help people. Use them, you know, use them to make yourself happy and make yourself money if you can. If you can make a living at it, that's great. You know, but... But give back and inspire people. You know, it comes back to the inspiration part of it again, like working with the elderly and the mentally disabled and and uh, at the nursing homes and stuff. When I teach art, 
a lot of times, you know, some of these older people, they can't even pick up a paintbrush. I, you know, I have to do it for them. But you're inspiring them. You're getting them, you're giving them hope. You're giving them um, a connection mm. that makes them happier. Um, I, I try to use what I can to, like with the um, Children's Craniofacial um, Association, I try to help them and get their message out through my art. You know, make people aware of these children and that they are just like anybody else and, and get right. that message across to people. Um, the breast cancer awareness. So I wanted to use the ta- my talent to help these women that are going through so much I wanted them to be able to laugh a little bit and smile a bit and and have hope that there is going to be tomorrow. You know, it's through it all, through all the bad things in life. If you you've got to be able to laugh at it and and find the humor in it. If you can find the humor in the worst of situations, you'll make it through it. And right, I got that right. from Joan Rivers, but it's the truth. That is but awesome. But that's what that's I all about. That. It's all about using what we have to to make you know to to make the best of what we can for other people and give, and give them, you know, part of that gift. So then it's like, it's like regifting, you know? Right. That is awesome. And it's not just what you're giving back in that way. I like that you kind of branch out and try to bring awareness to other things. And we'll get into the celebrity characters, but you've also done characters for animals, for animal rights and for our four-legged friends, for holidays, for, your great yes. state of Maryland for pride. You've been featured in a country yes. song. So you've really given Absolutely. back in a lot of different ways. So I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love doing that. That's so much fun. It's so much fun for me to sit matter and then draw something about it and then come up with a really cool line or a poem about it. It's and like basically writing a story when you write a poem. And that to me is so much fun. Fun. I'm doing the pandemic ones right now where I'm kind of taking celebrities and humorous sayings and, and creating a pandemic cartoon, you know, but it's still getting the message out to wear the mask or to stay safe. No, I love it. That's one of my favorite ones so far is the M-A-S-K one or MASH. The yeah. TV series. I love that one. That's awesome. I did that one yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I check you every day. Loretta Swit. Loretta Swit liked it. She she sent me a message and told me that she loved it. Oh, nice! I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. No, I follow them every day, and and you're you're just killing it on those. And let's go into the celebrity characters a bit. You said Cher was your first one. What was your first couple of celebrities that you were kind of, pardon the pun, drawn to to draw? Cher was the first, the very first one, the big one, the the only one. Many years when I was a little kid, loved. I just loved her. I thought she was my real mother. I she was just. I just thought she was the <laughs> coolest thing. Um, Joan Rivers was probably uh, another big one that really. She was so nice to me, so sweet, so grateful that I actually I, that I drew pictures of her. I she was just she was amazing to me. Well, you have to share that story because it's an amazing story of how you actually met her and and how she kind of shouted you out. Talk about that for a second. 
Yeah, I um, a friend of mine said uh, I'm going to go to New York and see Joan Rivers at this little club that she plays to do benefits from. Do you want to go? And I said, Oh my God, I'd love to see Joan Rivers. You know, this is just a couple of years before she passed away. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to go see her, I want to draw some greeting cards with her on them, and I'm going to make them funny, but I'm not going to use her jokes. I'm going to make up my own and then make rhymes out of them, you know, just kind of put my own twists on it. So I created a little collection of greeting cards with her cartoon on them and then these little jokes and everything, and I took them there in my little bag. And when we got to the club, I asked the maitre d', I said, you know, is there any way you could get these to Miss Rivers for me? And he said, well, I'll try. She's backstage. I'll see what I can do. And I thought, ah, they're going to end up in the trash. So <laughs> we went and sat down, and I never thought another thing of it. So I had my back to the corner of the stage, and my friend George was with me. And the applause started, and here she comes out, and George looked at me and goes, oh, my God. And I said, what, what? He said, you're not going to believe it. Turn around. He said, she's got your greeting cards in her hand. Well, she brought the greeting cards out on the stage. She held them up for everybody to see, introduced me as her friend, the starving fucking artist, and that's exactly how she put it. And um, (laughs) had me stand up, yeah, had me stand up and take a bow, and she thanked me, and she showed them to everybody, and then she bought me dinner and she said, you know, they're, whatever they're having is on me tonight. And she ripped me through the whole show on me. I mean, she called me every name <laughs> in the book. And everything. But I know she did that because she was trying to make me feel special. She, I know that was her way of telling me thank you. And then when I was on the train on going home, she tweeted out, Thank you for the greeting cards on her Twitter account. And I'll never forget that. It was just a, she didn't have to do anything. And she just took it right. to the highest level. What a class act all the way. And, That's amazing. Um, I've been so bad. I never saw her in person ever, but I've been very lucky to talk to people and become friends with people that were friends with her. And they've said nothing but good things about her. Um, my buddy Tony Tripoli has been on the show quite a bit, opened for her a lot, and was one of her producers on Fashion Police. And Margaret Cho's become a good friend of mine and been on the show quite a few times, and they were very close. And that's all I hear about how wonderful a person she was. As acerbic as her jokes were, she was the like, nicest woman on the planet. So I love hearing that. Absolutely. That is awesome. Absolutely. She, she cared so deeply about other people. And she recognized, and if she, you know, if she she wanted to make people feel special. She wanted to people make people feel good, and you know, she liked nice things and she liked wearing nice things and everything. But, but deep down inside, she was just she was a real person, and she was right so giving and so generous, and um, that was just I'll never forget that night. Never. I wish I'd had a better camera. That's <laughs> <laughs> there. You go right. Got to capture those moments. Well, let's go back to Sheriff for a second. Like you said, that was your original entree into doing this, and you kind of got connected through a friend of Cher's who loved your work and had you create a cake topper for her. Tell me about that. Well, actually, no. I don't know. I didn't know anything about the cake until um, Cher's best friend, Paulette, is the sweetest woman on the planet. I mean, if you ever met this lady, they've known each other for 40 years, and she is just 
the sweetest, most generous, kindest person, just a, a beautiful inside and out. And um, she's her best friend. Well, she was in, I had drawn all these pictures of Cher, and they were in town um, back in 2014. And Paulette said to me, and said, I'd like to meet you for coffee. And so I met her for coffee in Georgetown, and she took some of these cartoons to share. Now, I don't know what happened after that, and God only knows. <laughs> but a few months later was Cher's birthday, and one of my cartoons ended up on Cher's cake. I don't know how it got there. I don't know who put it there. I don't know whose idea it was. But I think – they, I. This is just my personal opinion. I think that Cher liked them, and I think that instead of instead of her holding them up for everybody to see, because you know she she's got to be careful what she puts out there, because anytime she puts something out there, all of a sudden she's attached to it. So right. she is. I think sometimes she has to figure out other ways to thank people with, so it doesn't look like an advertisement, if that makes sense. No, I, I understand totally. Had that put on there. I think maybe she had that cake that put on there as a way to tell me thank you. I don't know. That's maybe that's my wishful thinking. But anyway, it was still extremely exciting. So that exactly, that'd be my story, story, and I would stick to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the, I would have been happy if that was the end of the story. But then um, it was after that that oh, I sent. Um, what did I send her? I sent some, something. Somehow Cher's mother saw one of my cartoons and um, just fell in love with it and was ecstatic about it. So I get a phone call from Paulette one afternoon, who is Cher's friend, like I told you, and she said, somebody right. here wants to talk to you. She hands me the phone, and it's Cher. Oh, my and God. So, oh yeah. She, she says, hi, Scott, this is Cher. And I knew immediately. I knew the voice. I just knew it. And I had, and I went into total fan mode. And then I had to stop myself <laughs> and say, relax. Just relax. Treat her like anybody else. Don't act like an idiot. And she tells me, she said, oh, my mother, my mother loves your cartoons. And she just talks about on and on and on about how fabulous you are. da 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 and she went on and on and on, and we talked for like 20 minutes. And I tell you, I can't remember half of what was said because I was just in shock. But she had called because she wanted me to draw a cartoon of her mother, and there were certain things that she wanted the cartoon to have and to say and things in it about her mother that only she would know and, and things like that. So that was really cool, and I said, you know, of course, I'd love to. So we hung up, and then, I, of course, I called 8,000 people and told them that Cher just called. <laughs> then, um, then, so I did this cartoon of her mother, and I sent it off to her mother. So then her mother contacts me, and her mother wants oh me to design goodness. greeting cards with her mother and her dog on the greeting card. So needless to say, it was just an endless connection, and it was just so much fun, and it's it's like my shining moment, and I will never forget that. And Cher's mother is the sweetest woman on the planet, just so so kind and 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 just amazing, just all of them. Cher's well, Cher's just Cher. We all know that, but she's exactly. surrounded by really good people. She really is. 
That's amazing. I can't so, believe you've never met her, though. You have to meet her. You need to get to Vegas. <laughs> no, I've never met her. I, I went and saw her. I shook her hand when I was little. When we were, my mother took me to a Sunny Share show when I was a little kid. But no, I've never met her. But I kind of always thought of, you know, we talked on the phone. So it's, I think that's a, almost a little better than meeting because true. You know, I don't it's know. True. That's when a you meet somebody, you, you shake else. hands and you right. move on. You know. Right. No, you're right. I love it. Very cool. We also worked with some great other celebrities. I mean, I've been lucky to have Lonnie Anderson on my show. She's a good friend to a fr- good friend of mine, and uh, you've done a book and some stuff for her, and she's been very appreciative. So talk about your Lonnie yes. experience. She's the sweetest woman on the planet. <clears throat> um, I designed I love Lonnie Anderson, beautiful, such a beautiful lady, up close and personal, just as beautiful as in the pictures. And she's ageless, another ageless beauty yeah um i was supposed to a friend of mine mario wanted me to meet her and he said you know you should do a book about her and see if she can use it and um, put some cartoons together and so i put a whole collection together for her and made a little really cool book and everything but unfortunately the the situation fell through she was supposed to have a website or something and i don't think the website ever materialized because they were going to put the book mm-hmm. on the website and but she loved it, and she was very appreciative and very sweet to me. And I just saw her again back in September at an event um, not far from here, and she was very sweet to me and, and just, you know, I can't say enough nice things about her, another another sweet, sweet person. Um, um, but there's, unfortunately, that book didn't take off. I still have some. Gotcha. Anybody wants one. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about the book because you do have some available for sale. But you've done everyone from Barbara Streisand to Reba McApire to Dolly Parton, who I'm absolutely in love with. What's your inspiration? Oh what makes you want to do a full book on these people? Who doesn't love Dolly Parton? That woman is a saint. I swear, yes, she, she we should all follow in her footsteps, and with this would be the perfect <laughs> world. I'm kidding. I'm not. Right? I'm not kidding. Um, I think what, I get a lot of requests. People say, oh, can you do a book about this person? Can you do a book about this person? There has to be enough to be enough in their life to fill a, a, a book. Like, you know, the, a, enough different, um, like Reba McIntyre is my, my most recent one. She's had enough different experiences and enough different looks to where I can do something different on every page. You know, um, Lonnie Anderson, she's done a lot of different things. Um, uh, Cher, of course, different on every page. Um, Stevie Nicks, she was fun to do. She was an interesting, interesting person to do a book about. Um, they have to have something that's going to fill fill the pages and not become boring. You know, it, it, it has to be a little bit more than one or two outfits or something like that. And a lot of times I will do just a book like the Barbara Streisand book. I did a coloring book and I did a regular book of cartoons. And each cartoon, each page is an an illustration and then verbiage to go with the illustration, either a poem or some some kind of a a, a, – funny play on words about them. 
Right. So each page, I kind of look at it as each page is a different tribute, is a tiny little tribute, and the, the book is like a collection of tributes. Like uh, when I first started doing this stuff, there's a gazillion other artists out there that draw celebrities, and many of them are much, much better than me. But I started adding the poetry and the, the little wordplay right. and the, the, the little – the little sayings and stuff with it. And that's what I think makes it different and makes it special. And I, and I think now that, you know, there's so many artists out there that are really better than me. And then there's a lot of writers out there that are, that are write really beautiful stuff, but I do both and I put it together. And I think that makes what makes my stuff unique. If that makes sense. I agree a hundred percent. No, I agree a hundred percent. I love your your wordplay is so great with your pictures, and then they they tell a different story sometimes in the picture, which is kind of fun too, which I love. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate that. But I wanted to I wanted it to be something different. I didn't want to be like everybody else, and that's why I kind of keep my style. I still do it the old fashioned way. I do colored pencils and and ink, and I don't do all this computerized craziness. Because if I thought, well, if I do that, I'm going to be like everybody else, and I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want right. my stuff to look like everybody else's stuff. But anyway, there you go. the books are in on Amazon. I have an, a, a, a central page there where where people can go and they can see all the books that I've done. And I've done. I try to do a little bit of something for everybody, so that there's a little something for rock and roll people, and then some I Dream a Genie, and you know, there's. There's um, Cher and there's Barbara, and then I'm doing a Pride book I'm working on right now, and then I've got the Pandemic book, and there's there's I try to to niche everybody that I can. I want to make you know so that everybody wants to go to my my little store and see a little, that they're be able to find something for anybody. If that makes right. Sense. Well, you got to tell me when the Pride booklet is done because I need something to celebrate this year. It was kind of I don't like this whole virtual thing. I need some pictures. So yeah, it was very. It was. It's, it, it, it's sad. It's sad that we have to do it this way this year. And if we have a pride here in Annapolis that was canceled as well. And they do a lot of stuff virtually online, but you you know as well as I do, it's just not the same. It's it's just right. it's just not the same. We can we can try as as hard as we can, and it's just not the same. But yes, my pride book is almost done. And it's it's a collection of celebrities and rainbows and and different sayings and different play on songs and stuff like that. And it's just like my other stuff that they pride oriented and I'm very proud of it and it's coming along beautifully. And I was hoping I have it done last month, but and I got this pandemic stuff kind of pushed pushed the pride thing to the side because I got so excited sure. about the pandemic. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm telling you, this stuff excites me. I was when I thought of that Mash cartoon last night. I was like, Oh my god, I got to do this. I got to do this. This is so cool. These things come to me. I'm, I'm a sick person. <laughs> How quick are you at these things now? How fast do these things come out of you? Because I mean, you got to Comic Con and stuff and draw them on the spot. How quick have you gotten on a lot of these characters? I can do share in three minutes. And I can do Dolly Parton wow. in two minutes, and I can I can draw them, and I can whip one out in fifteen or twenty minutes if I know what I want. The the whole the yep. whole thing, right? I, what I do is I draw it, and then I scan it in the computer, and I clean it up just a little bit, 
and then I put it into the program that I use, and then I add the text, and then boom, it's done. And it, it, it really doesn't it. take that doesn't take that long at all. If, if I if I already have it planned out, it can take 15 minutes to half an hour. If, if sometimes I'll draw something, and I because I have a drawing in my head, and then I'll put it away, and then when the words come to me a month or two later, or you know a week or two later. Then I'll sit down and I'll add the words. Or sometimes I'll write the words and then think, well, what am I going to draw that's going to go with that? So it's a, it's, it's, but it, it's so fun. It's so much fun. This pandemic is really fun. Like I have a couple that I haven't shown yet. Like I have the, I did the Pillsbury Doughboy, which I'm, I'm going to probably put that one out tonight. It's just cute. It's, it's, they're, they're stupid, but they're fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it, dude. All right, well, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to finish up with your singing again because you used to be in a band, I read, and you used to sing for fun, and you still sing for fun now, but all of a sudden you did this song, Smile, that you just put into your phone, and it's kind of blown up. Talk about that for a second. Um, all right, I'll tell you the background real quick. When I always wanted to sing, it was my it's my little secret passion, and I've done it ever since I was a little kid. And then when I was 19, um, Prince 1984 was when Purple Rain came out, and um, I was really thin then, and I had long black hair. And my aunt told me because I was dark skin and Prince was light skin, she said, "You know, you look like that guy Prince." So I dressed up as him for Halloween that year, and I went and won contests everywhere, and then ended up working as a lookalike for him and traveling with a band, and I would sing and do a Prince impersonation, and I made a deal with these people that if they would let me sing with my real voice, then I would do Prince for them. And That's awesome. It, oh, my God, it was so much fun. I'll show you the pictures sometime. Um, they're on my Facebook. Just remind me to show you. <clears throat> so anyway, that band thing didn't work out, and and you know, time and time when I I had to go back to work and I had to you know pay the bills and whatever. You know, sometimes the dream doesn't always pan out. But right. be grateful for the little bit of time that you had. So I tucked that dream away, and then I sang here and there, you know, throughout the years, a little bit here and there, and then you know, it's it's always been tucked away. And then um, just recently, I've been thinking, boy, I would love to sing again. I just wish I could find some outlet to, to do that again. And But, you know, maybe it's too late. I'm in my 50s, and I don't know. And So I was just finished working out, and I was up in the kitchen, and I have really high ceilings, and acoustics are really good in there. When I sing in there, it sounds really cool. So I did this song, Smile, was on my mind from the pandemic, and um, I just kept thinking, you know, smile, there your heart is with blah, blah, blah. And I thought, what a beautiful song. And people need to hear that song right now. So I put my phone down and I recorded me singing it. Then I posted it on Facebook and everybody loved it, even though I was dirty and wearing my workout clothes. And, and <laughs> it was just for the moment, it wasn't this, you know, big stage production thing, but it was heartfelt. And I think people knew that. And I think people could feel that. And it, it wasn't so bad. So um, that was really cool. And then I saw this um, ad for this local TV show called Baltimore Loves Talent. And I sent the video. They said, send us your audition video. 
and you could be on the show. So I thought, ah, what the hell, and I sent them this video. Well, a couple of days later, I get an email that they loved it, and they want me to be on the show. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Well, because of the pandemic, they can't have people there to be on the show, so they're using the audition video as the performance. Oh, wow, okay. Thought, oh, my God, I, if I'd have known that, I would have <laughs> taken a shower, you know what <laughs> So then they used this video on there, and I thought, oh, well, what the hell? You know, it doesn't matter. Then I won. So, that <laughs> so is I thought, awesome. well, maybe people like me dirty. I don't know. But um, <laughs> So that was really cool. I won $500, and I'm in the finals, which is going to be in a few weeks, and that's for $5,000. And it's not money with me. I mean, you know, it's that it's – that's really cool, and that's nice, and yes, and who wouldn't want $5,000? I'm actually just thrilled that I even got on the show because I swear I never never expected to hear from those people when I sent them that video. I thought, oh, I'll just do this for the hell of it. We'll see what happens. But it's Congratulations. Just, it is, thank you. What it is is it, it just goes to show you that sometimes it's not too late. You know, sometimes – it's okay to pull those little dreams out of the closet that you've tucked away and put them back out I there like again. It. You know, it's, it's okay. And, and it's, you never know and enjoy what it is. If this is as far as it goes and I never sing another tune or never, never sing another note, this was pretty cool just for a moment. You exactly. know what I mean? That's what, that's what we need more of in our lives is, being a little bit grateful that we got this far. Be grateful you got this far. Don't worry about all that ahead of you right now. Just sit back and be grateful for right now for a minute. Then move forward. Does that make sense? There you go. It does so much, and I love that you're saying it because I think it's inspiration people need to hear. Well, i got to tell you, Scott Clark, this has been an absolutely fabulous interview. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope I wasn't. I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> you talked exactly right amount. Let fun. everyone know where it. they can find you. Give them your website and your social media. Um, well, I'm, my website is scottclarkstudio.com. That's uh, Scott Clark C L A R K E studio.com, and I'm Scott Clark, underscore Scott Clark on Instagram and Twitter, and then I'm just Scott Clark on Facebook and just look for me out there. And on Amazon, if you search Scott Clark, one of my books will pop up and then you can click that book and see the rest of them. And I believe a lot of them are available on Barnes and Noble website as well. And I also have an Etsy page out there and on Redbubble and I'm kind of a little bit everywhere. And if you can't find what you're looking for, find me and message me and, and I'll, I'll make sure that you get what you're looking for. Well, we're going to have to back, have you back on real soon, Scott. I appreciate you so much. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out with a little um, – well, let's see. What should we play today? We're going to play out with a little bit sure. of Levi Christ. This is Tell Me Twice. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. All right. 
guys we are back that was unsung lily with one of my new favorite songs maniac the very stripped down version from the movie you may remember and we're going to go right into our next guest i'm so excited to have her on she was recommended by our good friend matt kai burmaster from canada who just brought some excellent guests to the show lately i'm so happy you did she's a producer writer and director from New York and specializes in coming-of-age stories. She's also a Kickstarter creator in residence, and she's worked in development production for places like Nickelodeon, Viacom, and the Impact Repertory Theater. She's also produced or co-produced for projects with the likes of 2006 Sundance Film Festival, the Tribeca Film Festival, Fila on Broadway, and she's also an executive producer, writer, and director of her own series, Giving Me Life in the Land of the Deadass. I can't wait to talk to her all about that and so much more. Please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, Miss Dafina Roberts. Dafina, how you doing? 
I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Come on. I am loving all your work. My favorite thing to do is research, and you've worked on some amazing projects, my friend. Thanks so much for taking the time. <laughs> ah, Thank you. Thank you so much. And I really enjoy the show, too, so it's, it's good to be on. I appreciate that. Well, you're calling in from beautiful downtown New York City. Talk about how you're holding up. I mean, as a creator, everything's kind of been put on hold, but uh, just the city in general has been a little bit of crazy. How are you holding up? Um, things going well for you? And things? do you feel things starting to move together? New York's actually better than a lot of the country right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, is that as a writer, I spend a lot of my days at home writing. So, like, actually work doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. stop for me. Um, so uh, one of the benefits of being um, a creative write- a creative artist is that you can continue work. No one has to pay you. You can sit, sit down and say, you know what, this is the story that I want to tell. And so that's how I spend my days uh, right now. Like, I'm just researching, uh, starting to write um, another television series. I'm beginning to work on so I actually am doing research I love research too uh, so that's how I'm spending my days but um, New York is um, slowly coming back um, we're in phase four right now we've been back for about a, a week uh, and you know we're slowly getting back but everyone's trying to wear face masks obviously socially distancing um, from one another and just trying to be you know as good as we can be because it's you know this is a this is going to be with us for, for a long time so we all have to kind of right. you know and we're learning how not to do it from all the other places in the country that thought they had it under control and were not really taking the uh, slow road to recovery as New York started to do. And hopefully we can keep at it. I think a lot of other places has been um, user error, we'll say, where we just have a lot of stupid people out there doing some stupid things. But uh, a lot of it has to do with how our states and our cities and everything have been taking care of things. So. I feel that New York is is going to get there soon. Talk about well, we'll see because as we get back to the school year, it'll get a little crazier. But you know, we'll see. We're taking it step by step. <laughs> very true. Very true. Let's start at the beginning, Dafina. Give me a little bit of background. Where did you grow up? Was it in the New York area? And what kind of a kid were you growing up? Um, yeah, no, I'm from New York. I was uh, born and raised in Bed-Stuy uh, in Brooklyn, and then I moved around uh, throughout my childhood. I moved probably at least about 11 times uh, before mm-hmm. I was 18. Um, so I lived throughout New York City. Uh, we just moved a lot, a lot between uh, the four boroughs. We, I've never lived in Staten Island, but I've lived in Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan and the Bronx. Um, so um, hmm, in terms of my childhood, um, you know, I I guess I would say I had an unconventional childhood. Um, you know, I guess it's, you know, the product of living in New York City, uh, living in a place. A childhood in New York City is just very different than any other, you know, in any other place in, in the state. So, uh, it's you know, you grow up fast and, you know, there's a lot to get into. Um, I was always very artistic. Um, I danced. Um, I acted. Um, I wrote directed, um, a little bit of everything. I went to put the performing arts uh, high school. I was an actor there. Um, so, yeah, just like an artistic kid, just running around, doing her thing. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. So you were writing earlier on short stories and things or just uh, kind of uh, – a lot of people like that, I noticed, they put on little things for a family and stuff. Were you pretty outgoing that way as well and performing your stuff or just kind of keeping it more to yourself? 
Um, I did little things for my family for sure, and probably more so for my family than for anyone else. Um, I started doing a little bit of writing because my friend in high school was a poet, um, and so I did some. And also, we were we were actresses together, and so like for instance, the NAACP has um, a youth division where they let you perform. So she wrote something, and that I acted in. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, for my senior in at, for my senior year in performing arts. They had something that used to be called um, Cabaret, which I think now is called Rising Stars, or I'm sure it changed um, over the years. But it's like basically gives an opportunity for us students to be able to produce our own stuff rather than doing kind of like the conventional, like, you know, you have to do, you know, um, uh, you know, a Shakespearean play or whatever it is for our final project. It's kind of allowed us to do our own thing, and it was a talent show. And so I did a, a short uh, scene that mixed dance and music and um, obviously theater together. Um, but then, interestingly enough, I decided after I finished up with LaGuardia that I wasn't going to do entertainment anymore. So when I, I left when I left high school, I kind of pursued um, something different when I went to college. But um, oh, I've always been an artsy kid. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> the industry is hard. Well, and I think that for, like, <laughs> for me. I don't know um, how some people after, do it. That's for sure. It's a rough, it's, it can be a rough industry when you're trying to come into your own and trying to find your voice. Um, and I think that for me, uh, when I went to college, I kind of had decided that I didn't see how I could work in the industry at the time because um, there weren't a lot of roles for young black women. Um, and so that weren't stereotypical and didn't involve like one line. And so I just couldn't find a place for myself as an artist and, and, at the beginning didn't necessarily see myself as a writer, primarily mm-hmm. saw myself as a performer. And when I couldn't find roles that, that spoke to me or couldn't find my place in the industry, um, I decided to go a different route. So I actually majored in philosophy with a track in race, ethnicity, and gender studies, and I was going to become a philosopher um, and like, go and get my Ph.D. But then um, I, I decided that <laughs> – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I saw um, saw in your philosophy and your background there. I was going to ask about that. So keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, But what I ended up doing was a lot of my philosophical works were around these issues. um, How how we how media helps us shape how we see ourselves. um, How how we have a you know what are the what's the discourse what's the zeitgeist around identity what's the you know whether it be around race or sexuality or gender or class all those kinds of things but a lot of it was around um, art and media and I realized that I didn't want to just continue to talk about it I wanted to be a part of the industry again so although I really loved you know doing the research that I was doing and ultimately I, I could see myself like going back like when I'm like, I don't know, just like a little bit older, a lot of bit older, um, you know, maybe getting my PhD and teaching and being like an old wise woman who like has all these great stories to tell. Um, I just kind of decided that I talk about it so much that I actually want to be part of the change. And so when I left school, I actually came back into the industry again. So it's one of those things, I think being an artist is one of those things that it's like it never lets you go. Like if that's what you, if that's really what's in your mm. heart, if that's really what you want to do, even if the industry doesn't have a place for you, um, you just feel compelled because that's, you know, that's a part of who you are. And to find a place to be able to express that and, and you know, be able to live that truth is really, really, really important. So, um, so 
I kind of journeyed, you know, to and fro and came back again, um, back to the arts. Right. I love that. And it's one of the questions I, I usually ask people, too, is I love to find out where people find their tribes, be it LGBTQ, be it their profession, be it their circle of friends. So I think, it's as you said, there's some that just keep drawing you back and forth again. Talk about different tribes that you've found and what keeps you um, motivated in, in these communities. I guess I would probably say, like, you know, queer people of color, um, like artists, um, uh, social activists, um, those are probably, let me think, is there any other, like, like and, and geeks and nerds <laughs> uh, are, like, my, probably my tribe. <laughs> I like that. I'm sorry. Well, you have a, I, I like that. I'm sure one of your characters might be based on that in one of the series we'll talk about. I love the geeks and nerds. That's a fantastic. Very, very cool. Let's <laughs> yeah. kind of jump through your career a bit. What was your first kind of professional gig out there? Um, it was working as, I mean, I was dancing, um, training and, and teaching in, in hip-hop. Uh, but in terms of like, I guess my first like official gig was working um, as the master choreographer at Impact Repertory Theater. That's why I started with them, and then I'm teens like 12 to 19 um, who are artists, and it's about teaching them not only about the performing arts like uh, singing and dancing and theater, but also about leadership skills and applying that specifically to social justice work. And so um, all the material is original, and all the material is is typically about um, some kind of social issue that face, uh, that's, a, that's a youth issue. And so that company goes around um, a, a lot in the tri-state area, but also um, throughout the country. And I've gone with them even to, like, internationally, I've gone with them to, like, Bulgaria and performed there um, because they we do a lot of um, rap, uh, hip-hop, um, some gospel-based work um, in terms of, like, just the musicality. Uh, and that's primarily what what – what our work does. And so I really had a great experience there because I felt like it finally combined a lot of my the artistic work that I wanted to do with also kind of addressing social issues. And that was what, that's what I wasn't finding um, when I first like got, say for instance, into dance. It was kind of like, get up there and just dance, you know, um, rather than right. doing work that I felt was meaningful to me. So um, that's kind of like what I, I consider like my first like real gig. Um, and it really just combined a lot of my interests. Fantastic. Now talk about going from something like that and artistic director, and you kind of have some control able to do some of your visions, but you've worked with some major media companies. How does that influence your work? Did you find that easier to navigate? Is it uh, a lot harder to navigate? Talk about the, the structure in there and trying to bring the social activism to it. Are people actively working in these bigger companies? Or did you feel that was part of your journey to help make that happen? Um, I feel like, you know, working nonprofit and working in a corporation, like it's two different, <laughs> like night and day. Oh, um, that's true. You know, yeah. Especially when you're working in a small nonprofit, you know, like Impact is a small nonprofit. It's still very much like a family. Um, and also I had direct contact with the people that I was working with. So like I'm, if I'm working with someone who's 12 to 19, those, like I see them all the time. I talk to them all the time about the issues that are going on with them. You know what I mean? So like there's a direct contact that's there. 
um, and being a mentor just by being alive. You know, just by interacting with them, you're there. You know, and you're in you're right. in you're you're in the community. You know, so that's a very different experience. And it's a great experience. And I also felt like it was very liberating because I wanted. You know, I, I'm sure we all have this experience of. I'm sure this is why you make the radio. You know, this the show that you make because you when you were growing up, I'm sure you wanted you know, um, a show like this, which is why you're making it, right, for everyone who needed right. to hear this when you were growing up. And I think that when you do nonprofit work and you can directly work with young artists and say, like, I totally hear what you're saying, or maybe I don't, maybe I haven't had that life experience, but maybe you should talk to so-and-so, there is that direct contact, and we can all work together and, 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 and help one another out because I think that, you know, younger artists will always um, – like out of the mouth of babes kind of thing, you know, where someone will say something right. I'm like, yes, oh, my God, we need to do better work. <laughs> we need to get our stuff together. Uh, and then also they're getting something from you because you're like, oh, I've been through that, and, you know, it, it does get better, and it's okay, and, you know, all those kinds of things. Working in a corporation is, you know, is, is very different. I mean, one of the things that was challenging for me was, you know, um, you know oftentimes the lack of diversity. Um, there's a lot of you can have diversity with any company, um, but when as you slowly move up in that company, it, it oftentimes becomes less diverse, and that is in terms right. of you know uh, race, gender, um, sexuality, all those things come up, and so trying to be a voice for the people who you grew up with, the people like because like I said, I I come from New York, and so and I come and I've lived in a lot of different neighborhoods in New York. On top of that, um, for most of my life, I've lived in a primarily like immigrant um, communities because that's what New York is made up made up of. My father is an immigrant. My father is from was born in Guyana and raised in and raised in Trinidad. So like mm. you know you when you when you're used to a certain level of diversity, a, a certain level of of just people from different lo- different walks of life, different worlds coming together and trying to make things work and trying to make sense of their, you know, their world that they're living in. And then you go into an environment that's less so, it can be a little bit of a shock to the system. And that definitely was the case for me. But one of the things that I think that I really learned from working at Viacom was um, just, I wanted like best practices in terms of like, like how, I had, like, one of my best, probably the best manager I've ever had working at Nickelodeon. Um, She was amazing. And learning underneath someone who really knows how to manage people, and she had gotten that from a woman who she was her manager uh, before she had moved over to DreamWorks. Um, But having know-how is so, so important, and, and, and access to resources and all those kinds of things with career growth. And you can tell that, like, I, I even, like, I used to, um, I'm, sure, I'm sorry if this is like, sounds like a super academic conversation about, like, no, work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but because uh, I started off, like, when I was in high school, I was a part of a nonprofit called Jobs for Youth, and it helped um, kids from the inner city get jobs that they otherwise would not be able to get because we didn't have the contacts to make those, you know, those opportunities happen. And so um, I worked in their offices helping place young kids like my own age, my peers, into like these, um, into these job opportunities. And because they knew that I went to performing arts, a lot of all, they kind of focused me towards all the um, young artists. So like putting them into 
like theaters throughout the city, like that kind of thing. And so, right. for, like since I was young, I've always been super focused about giving people opportunity who otherwise wouldn't have it. And because that's been something that I've seen in my own life, the issues that come up with people who are brilliant, who are smart, who are capable, you know, talent is 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 everywhere, right? But not an op- but opportunity isn't. And so, you know, I always feel blessed when I interact with people who bless me, right? So having the opportunity, um, her name is Brownwin O'Keefe. Um, Brownwin was an amazing manager. You know, she just taught me some development. Uh, we, I worked with her um, in development at Nickelodeon. She taught me so much. And I just think that it's so important when you have a good manager, when you have someone who's willing to mentor you, it can change your life. It, ch- it changes the direction of your career. It can just open up worlds of ways of thinking that you just didn't have access to because that maybe your family doesn't know anyone who does that. And so for me, it's always about um, trying to, you know, uh, you know, each one teach one, like pass it on because, you know, like I said before, sometimes you can be in an industry that's not necessarily ready for you or doesn't know how to, I don't know, doesn't know how to market you, doesn't know what to do with you because they just, they, right. you know, they just don't know. And so for anyway, exactly. my whole point is that, like, that was one of the things I, I really learned, um, having a great manager um, in her. And she, I, she, she, she was just instrumental for me, my growth there. And uh, she, she was the best. As well as the other people well, on my team, because cool. there were other women who were just amazing, too. <laughs> so shout that's out to terrific. Ashley. I mean, that, and, that's and exactly to, one of my um, questions. I mean, Jerry. you were on mm-hmm. top of exactly, I think you're reading my mind there, Dafina, because that was one of my questions is, what do you think are some of the most important lessons you've learned over time? And it sounds like the mentorship is a big part of it. How do you think your work has evolved over the years because of these great managers? Um, I feel like some of the great, the, the best things I learned, especially from like the team that I worked with on Nickelodeon, uh, was is, is diplomacy or something that I'm still learning to work at, to be honest with you. Um, like I'm a very passionate person, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> can be uh, fairly opinionated, and um, you know sometimes I can get you know fairly feisty, and so um, that's and I think those are great qualities. I like them about myself, but also also sometimes you know the things that you're you know that are helpful to you can also be the things that are your weaknesses, if that makes any sense. Sure. And so no, yeah. um, I think that they were really helpful in terms of helping me learn how to um, get things done and, and work with people um, even if you don't maybe see necessarily eye to eye, right, or how to get how to talk to people in a way so that they can understand where you're coming from and that you can understand them better to get, get to, to a win, you know. Um, right. That's something that, you know, I think is really important in this industry because you do need allies. Like in order for any of any of us to get anything done, we need allies. We need people. We need to be able to make coalitions in order to to move like this industry forward, in order to move our lives forward. Like no one does it alone. That's well I think that's the biggest thing. Very good. And when was the first time that you started to see yourself reflected in projects or on screen or in media? Um, do you feel that the media is starting to get it a little bit more? I mean, you're working hard for this every day for your own project, but talk about other projects. When did you kind of first see yourself represented, and is it changing at all right now? When did I first see myself represented? 
Hmm. Um, I don't. I, like that's an interesting question. I feel like that's so absolute. I mean, there's things that I absolutely love that that are out, but I don't know. I don't can't remember the first time I felt like I've seen myself represented. Gotcha. Hmm. No, go ahead and go in that vein of things that that you enjoyed, that you felt represented you well. Let's go that way then. I remember, like for instance, no. Let me put it to that that way is um, Paris is Burning. Like that mm, okay. felt like the New York that I grew up in and that, that like that's the tradition that for my family, that's, that, that's, that world made sense to me. And I love that film. That's that, my favorite documentary of all time. Because my, um, my, mother, my, my mother came out when I was eight years old. So I've primarily lived in like being like queer has been a part of my like my upbringing. One of my okay. biggest kind of um, one of the biggest challenges I think I've had is when it comes to my 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 immediate family. Right <laughs> at the end of the day, so <laughs> I like for it. me, it's been. I've struggled with the rest of the world, if that makes any sense. I know a lot of people have struggled with their family, and then they found family outside of their blood relations to create, right. you know, a, a family where they feel accepted. For me, it's been um, the the opposite. Looked out into the world and saw, like, you know, a lot of just craziness. Where I'm like, what is everybody's problem? Like, why isn't why can't everyone <laughs> just chill out? You know, right? Um, I love so. That. That's, I guess, kind of like what I mean by that. I had a very unconventional childhood. Um, like I said, I grew up really, really fast. New York is, you know, um, like for instance, you know, my my when my parents broke up, my the, the part of that had to do with the fact that my father um, was addicted to um, crack cocaine at the time. So like, I grew up very, very fast in a very kind of like you just had a like you know a, you know a very challenging childhood. But, uh, but, my, but overall, you know, individually, I have great relationships with my mother, with my father, with my sister, and I think resilient that no matter what we went through, do you know what I mean? Like whether it right. was like, oh, we're like periodically homeless for this moment, and then we like found a home, like whatever it is, we were able to do it because that's what love does. And so for me, I just, I have a hard time understanding when people are are bigoted. Do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah, there's so much pain sure. in the world. Like it just seems a little ridiculous to be like I don't know. It just seems a little bit ridiculous. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that so that, that's kind of like my you know my my take on things. I love that. Um, personality mean to you, and how do you let that reflect in your art and your work currently? Um, I feel like that most of our lives are, are intersectional. We're, if we humble ourselves to see um, where we have privilege, um, hopefully it will make us more compassionate to other people who don't have the privileges that we have and, um, mm. and that we can be more open to hearing their stories. So for me, nice. like giving me life is really about you know, like it's funny, huh? Like, like the when we were trying to come up with the name "Giving Me Life in the Land of the Deadass," 
um, I was trying to express kind of like exactly what I just expressed just now. Like there can be a lot of pain in this world. You know, there's right. life can be very, very rough, especially if you're, well, no, you know what I was about to say, especially when you live in the city, but that's not even true. Like no matter where you live, right, it doesn't matter if you're living rural, like in a rural part of America or a rural part of another, you know, another country, right, life can be hard. And that's the part of the, you know, the, the, the land of the dead ass, right? Because in New York, for those who don't know, that dead ass is um, a, um, a, a slang uh, for when, you, when, when something's serious. So it's like someone says, um, she smacked someone so in the face. And it's like, what? Are you crazy? That happened? It's like, yo, I'm so dead ass. Like, I'm so serious. And so right. um, talk about living in, in the land of the dead ass, like living in, in, a, in a world that can be cold and, and, and serious and just very real, right? And this show was supposed to be about um, giving me life is another, like, slang term, I guess, for just, like, for anyone who doesn't know that, which is just, like, you know, something that just gives you joy, right? So for me, it was about trying to find joy in, in a world that can be very cold and cruel, and right. I believe that you find that through friendship and love. And part of part of what friendship and love are fundamentally about to me is acceptance. Accepting people for who they are or how different they are from you. And I think that for a lot of us, we struggle to find that in other people, you know, um, right. because we live in a world that, you know, can be, people can be controlling and crazy and wanting to tell other people how to live their lives, you know, so... Intersectionality to me is just super important because I do think that hopefully it humbles us to be like, you know what, in this situation, um, I may be disadvantaged, but, you know, in another situation, I actually am in a position to stand up for someone else's rights, and I think that we all need to do that. There you go. Yes, we do. I like it. Well, let's get into this area. You talked about it, and I love that you gave that slang definition. I have that written down because I was not familiar with the way those terms were made. Series a bit. Um, I was able to, I told you off air, I watched, um, I think, three of the episodes, which I really enjoyed. Talk about these characters you've created. Um, are they cut from whole cloth? Are they based a little bit on people you know? You're just a combination of the the two. Tell me about how this series came to life for you. Um, yeah, so they're, they're based on, like, me and my friends. Um, it, it came to life because I was, uh, taking a writing class with uh, my mentor, uh, Jamal Joseph, who runs Impact Repertory Theater. I was taking a class back in the day, and we were writing short films, and I just wrote a, a short, you know, short film about me and my friends. And then, honestly, I forgot about it. <laughs> I was, and I started working at Viacom, and I was just like, do, 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 like living my, my fullest life. And um, a, fr- a fellow friend of mine who's also a screenwriter, we went to dinner, and he gave me this script and he's like does this look familiar and I was like what is this so I'm flipping through it I'm like oh this is funny and I was like wait a second this joke sounds familiar and then I like turned to the front I was like oh I wrote this oh my gosh a while back that's crazy and and he was like I think you should turn it into a a digital series and I was like really he's like yeah I I love the characters I think you should go ahead and do it and I was like "Mm, you think anybody might be interested so that's what I did (laughs) I know it sounds crazy but like it was (laughs) it was it left my mind um and in writing them, you know, I just, in my writer's group, people were responsive to it. Um, each of the characters have a little bit of me in it. Um, I feel like actually all of them do, but a lot of them also have, like, other 
other people who are really close friends of mine, and a lot of stories are based on um, from the, from the show are based on things that we've done or gotten into um, the shenanigans. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, describe some of the characters. I love it. I mean, I I followed the Travis tale. Obviously, was was of interest <laughs> to me, being both a gay man and kind of dabbling with my own Christianity and everything. But talk about Nala, talk about Leah, talk about these characters a bit, um, and share just a brief overview for my listeners so they can kind of get invested in them as well. Yeah, sure. And I can talk about Travis first. Um, so Travis is a gay Christian, um, and his scenario for the, the episode that he's in is that um, he is dating someone, and they get uh, invited to a um, a kind of like – a potential orgy situation, a potential like you know, but you know, fun situation, and he has to decide about you know how how he feels about that, uh, considering his Christianity. So um, th- that I that came up because um, my mother, um, like I mentioned before, um, is queer and she's also a practicing Christian. Um, she goes to um, um, and that's like I said, that's what I grew up. That's what I grew grew up with. You know, so gotcha. um, for me, this is like a perfect example of intersectionality. When I first wrote the script, I had brought it to a writer's room. I'm sorry, to a writer's uh, group that was for the uh, – I had visited a writer's room. I'm sorry, not a writer's room. I keep on thinking about development. <laughs> sorry, a writer's group. And um, <laughs> I, I shared it with them, and they were like, I don't know. Like, this doesn't seem, like, real. And I was like, what? They're like, well, you know how, you know uh, – you know how like churches are about gay people. I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I, there, there is homophobia in, 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 you know, in the church. But I was like, you do know that there are gay, gay churches, right? And we got into this whole thing about how they wanted the story to be about the homophobia that he faces in his church. And I was like, but that doesn't make any sense if he goes to a gay church. I was like, what are you talking about? So right. this, it became this whole argument about how like. And this also happens, like you know, whenever there is a black character in the story, it's like, well, can't we can't the, their story be about racism? I'm like, not all black people and Latinx people want to talk about racism all the time. We want to be human mm. too. Like, we want to be able to tell stories about whatever we're like, whatever the story is about in the context in which our lives are taking place, and be able to talk about our humanity within that context. And it was like a full-on argument. Like to the point where we never actually got to talk about the story. It was about whether or not. <laughs> You could be gay and also black and also Christian all at the same time. You know what I mean? And right. it was just like it was so ridiculous that I was just like, "That's it." I refuse to have this conversation with you all. Like, I obviously you are neither Christian. Like, and also I was having an argument with people who are not practicing Christians, which to me is also kind of crazy talk because they were talking about their stereotypes about how they feel about Christians. And I'm like, "You're not gay and you're not Christian. So what are you talking about right now?" So I just was like, "I'm done." So. The Travis story came from, like, yes, like, there are always going to be coming out stories, and that's great, and there's always going to be slave stories, and I guess that's great, too. Like, whatever people are into those narratives that we go to a ton, like, I get it, and I hear it, and I celebrate it. But there are things – life happens after you come out, just like life happens after black people stop being slaves. Like, life actually happens, and to me, I just think it's so important that people get to tell the diversity of their stories and we're not just like tropes to be like put out there to be, to make Heather, to, you know, to talk about some 
some, some form of injustice, and that's our whole point of being in a story. Because it's not our that. whole point is to be human, and the injustices that we face are wrong because they're wrong because that you, you, our humanity should be respected. So Travis is in many ways like a, you know, um, just like a love note to everybody who's Christian and gay or Christian, I'm sorry, or religious and gay and is, is, is living their life, you know, with spirituality that affirms who they are both as, you know, people, but also as sexual beings. Like I just, I don't, I just don't give space to it, to be honest to you. Right. <laughs> I like it. Um, no, I love that. And then we have Nala, who is kind of like the ringleader of all our friends. Um, she is, you know, a, a social activist uh, artist, um, just like, you know, I am. Uh, I basically am like an artist, someone who uses art and, you know, it does activist work. And um, she is all about kind of like taking it to the system and saying it like it is. And so her problem, and this speaks to what I was talking about earlier, like my tendency to be super passionate and how, like, oftentimes that gets me into trouble. Um, so right. she, like, her journey is a, is basically about that. Like, she's the kind of person that just, like, says it from the heart and is well-intentioned but always manages to, um, you know, basically be in a position where um, she's always wanting to stick it to the man, but sometimes, you know, the man doesn't want to get, get you know, has, doesn't want anything stuck to him. So, <laughs> She's constantly right. in a position where she's, like, fighting for justice and getting pulled into her friend's drama because she wants it to be helpful. And um, also, you know, she's a feminist, and so she's constantly dealing with, you know, whether it's sexist notions about how women should be and how they should act in this world. She's always basically confronting that, again, not because she wants to be told that she can't exist in this world. Uh, then there's right. Leah, who's her best friend, uh, who she lives with. Uh, her roommate, uh, she's um, pansexual, um, fairly conservative. Um, so that was also like, an, you know, another thing because, for instance, like, you know, I'm, I'm sexually fluid. And a lot of times I think when people think about people who are sexually fluid or pansexual or bisexual or any of the, you know, different, um, you know, identities, oftentimes people think of people who are that way as being super liberal um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, either promiscuous or whatever, you know, exactly, certain yeah. stereotypes that kind of go along with that. And, you know, I want to explore like a character who's actually fairly conservative, um, but they are pansexual. And the thing is, is that I have a ton of friends who are like that, but their stories are never told. Um, and I also find that's interesting. You know, because I also feel like right. people think that there is a correlation between those things when a lot of times there isn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are plenty of people who sure. are straight, who are, who, who are promiscuous. And not only that in a derogatory way, I mean, just in a kind of like they're living their fullest life. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I'm a very free person. You know, like, I'm out here living my fullest life, but I'm, and I'm happy with that. Like, but I think that sometimes people make an association with, with, with certain things. So what they kind of have a yin-yang effect on each other because because Leah's very conservative, and she's always poo-pooing Nala not to, like, you know, take it to the man, all this other business. She's like, you need to calm yourself. Um, so she's, she's more concerned with how people perceive her um, because of her pansexuality. So there's that dynamic there. Um, then um, there is another friend named Jess. Um, she is um, uh, genderqueer in terms of how she presents. Um, 
And so she's a, she's a little bit masculine, masculine of center. And um, she's fun and, and, and just wild and crazy, but she also yeah. happens to be a middle school um, counselor. And then there's um, um, uh, Gil, who is uh, Nala's uh, love interest at the moment, um, who's a bit of a geek. Um, and so he represents kind of like all the black geeks that I know. And how they plan to vote in um, November. Who, again, you'll get a more tomorrow morning, as always, for Bellamy <laughs> starting kind of at 8 a.m. Eastern. And he's the best. Well, and then lastly, there's Sam. Brian Williams. And he's kind of like what I would imagine is like, I guess someone would probably guess as a kind of like a, a, a beta male. Um, he loves um, very, very strong women, and the drama that comes along with, with, with that. And all these people, like I said, are based on my friends. So it's like those kind of dynamics that, again, that oftentimes are not shown like, about like um, Latino and, 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 and black males. Oftentimes, their stories are not told if it's not told within a context of like crime and um, poverty and certain kind of like storyline stakes that, that are told about their story. So I want to be able to make sure that all my friends got represented in their, their fullness in terms of how they express their gender, how they express their sexuality, um, and, you know, the friendships that they have that are can be both sexual or non-sexual, you know, very platonic um, across people of different genders. So that's a good idea. Well, it's a fantastic I got to see three of you guys all together. I do want to ask you a question, though, because I told you out there that I've been interested in working for the right now, and they like to kind of be interested in different things that I'm talking about. So I love you, told me that he found it was very interesting to watch all six of them. He fell in love with the series and was wondering compared to this HBO show Euphoria. Because she said she's kind of familiar with this show that's very similar to yours, but it's very whitewashed down and everything. And it was done, I guess, last year on HBO. But it just, she was wondering if it feels like a lot of these ideas that come from uh, people of color and and that type of community, then they all get whitewashed later on through the mainstream media. Have you kind of felt that or got any comparisons to that at all? President Trump did um, not yeah, I mean, like ours came out before um, Euphoria did, but Euphoria actually came that, from a um, Israeli format um, that was that already existed, you know, that it already existed. I don't know when the Israeli format um, came out. Um, so I, I, I think that I think that Euphoria comes out of that tradition um, in terms of just casting that feels similar to Degrassi. Um, which has been around forever, right? I mean, Degrassi's been around right. for a thousand years, and and is that kind of like coming of age high school story with with as you know with diverse okay. diverse you know um, characters in terms of race. For me, I was specifically looking at um, stories told from a Latinx and Black perspective. Um, so I think that. I mean, I, I like Euphoria, so I, like, to be honest, I'm like, oh, I love that show. Um, I also, you know, loved uh, this U.K. show called Skins, um, not the American version, uh, although I celebrate them. I, I just, the U.K. version, I just really, really, really loved. But um, I love coming-of-age stories. So I do think that um, there needs to be a show like Giving Me Life, which is why I made it. 
Right. So um, yeah, I, I don't I know. I, I think it's like, similar, but I don't think it's, there's anything like like it out on the market right now. So right. that's what I'll say. Well, I just want to check because I, I didn't know anything about it, and she just wanted to see if it felt like there was an appropriation of some sorts because she was wondering just from her perspective because she, is, she mm-hmm. thought yours was so original and so more – well-rounded characters, I guess. And I haven't seen the show, so I, you say it's good, and I take your word on it. Um, I don't really know the show at all, but she was just felt that was yours was such a strong lead into it that she was wondering if you kind of felt anything between the two. So that's interesting. Okay, I appreciate. I get you. the kinship in terms of just the, the topics and you know that sort of thing, but um, I, I do think right. that they're kind of played different lanes. You know what I mean? Like for instance, like when we look at stories. And this also has to do with the fact that I'm telling a story about uh, people who are, like, in a city together, um, and this mm. is from my own personal life, right? So I'm, I'm talking from a particular community that my stories are coming from um, versus, say, like, you know, if it takes place in basically a suburb, and I don't know anything about coming up in the suburbs. I don't know, I don't know what it means um, to, gotcha. I don't know what it means to, for instance, um, come up where I'm a minority in my own community. Do you, do, does gotcha. that make sense? Like I didn't know what it meant to yeah, be a no, minority okay. in, in, in any particular space until I went until I went into the industry. To be honest with you, because I was mostly surrounded by people who look like me, and so my story is more about that. And I don't think there's enough of that. Like you see, you you get to see that with the say like pose, right? We're seeing where where we can see people all together in their community, living their full of life, trying to, like, live their dreams. And I think, nice. you know, those stories also need to be told, not just, you know, euphoria. There should be space for all of us. I love that. Is that the kind of stories that excite you the most? What are you trying to build your career into now? We're starting to slow down in time. What You said you're writing now. Talk about what excites you. What What do you want to see on the forefront that you'd like to see other people create and that you're creating right now that you want to get out there? Now I'm working on a series um, that is based in Ghana, uh, in, in West Africa, Uh Based on giving me life, an uh, executive producer approached me, um, who's Ghanaian-American, about doing the show out there. And so I went to Ghana um, during the year of, ret- of, of the return, which was this past year. Um, the Ghanaian president invited everyone from throughout the continent and also throughout the African diaspora to come and, like, return and to, like, both, like, in, you know, just in terms of tourism, but also to come and invest in businesses uh, both obviously specifically in Ghana, but throughout the continent. And so for me, I went out there. It was amazing. It was such a party. It was so, like, it was it was insane. It was great. They had, like, um, Afrochella. They had another four-day um, music festival called Affirmation. Um, we were meeting people from, like, all around the world, you know, um, who wow. are from the African diaspora. It was amazing. And so this show is basically about the um, financial sector in Ghana, and it's it's I'm really excited about what I'm working on because I feel like it's an opportunity to show um, Accra, which is the capital of Ghana, in a way that hasn't been seen on you know on the world stage um, before. And I'm really looking forward to working with uh, Ghanaian uh, creatives, whether they're writers or directors, and, and obviously actors and actresses and other. Um, uh, creatives from the continent, as well as um, others from the um, African diaspora to put this project together. So I'm really, really excited about that project and doing the research because I feel like there needs to be more of a conversation 
um, between um, between all of us, quite frankly, um, in terms of talking about what's happening on the continent and treating it like it's a continent and not just like one big country, right? So for me, mm, one of my biggest yeah. um, things I'm super passionate about is that I feel like when people talk about um, Africa, they talk about it like it's one country. It's like talking about Europe like it's one country. It's crazy talk. And I really want to have a more global conversation. Like when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about all black lives, right? We're not just talking about African-American lives. We're talking about everyone's life. And I feel like, honestly, the world is ready for it. Like we, we all want to be able to hear each other's stories. And I think that as we all need to do a better job of giving space to other people to have those conversations and to be a part of the conversations, I'm really, really, really excited about that project. Um, should be. Oh my of, goodness. <laughs> um, and then in terms of my, like that's kind of like my, but that the the one that's up front for me, um, giving me life. Um, I've been approached by my other by the licensors that have um, already licensed my series about doing a season two. So I kind of need to get my like once I'm done working on like you know just the upfront development for my Ghanaian series, um, basically getting together a season two pitch for giving me life. So I'm really, really excited about that as well. And then um, the third project I'm working on is a um, feature I'm writing that is about, um, it's basically like a sci-fi um, dramedy that, um, that I'm just, again, really, really excited to write about. Um, we don't oftentimes get to see um, uh, like, like Latina scientists at the forefront of our sci-fi stories, and that's what I plan True, on, yeah. on working on too. Wow, Dafina so, Roberts, your future's so bright, you got to wear shades. You got a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> darling. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. That trip sounds like it was fantastic last year. Oh my goodness! It was it that. was amazing. It, oh my God, everyone should go to a prize. It's a gorgeous city, um, and the the in terms of the country, it's amazing. Um, it's just, it, it, was, it was really, really, really amazing. Well, we are running out of time. I have a whole other page of questions. We're going to have to have you back real soon because I didn't get to talk about Broadway and your show you worked on there, MTV. So we got to have you back again real soon because you are an amazing person to speak to. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Let everyone know where they can find the series. I mean, it is on YouTube, but you can actually see the character and the cast and the creatives on the actual website. Give that, and then let them know where they can follow you on social media. Sure. Uh, yeah, you just have to go to gmlseries.com uh, for the series. That's the easiest way to um, watch it. So that's giving me life, gmlseries.com. And then for my social uh, it's on Instagram and also on Twitter. It's the Mighty Dero, uh, the Mighty Dero T H E M I G H T Y D R O, and on Facebook it's just Daphina Roberts. Fantastic, Davina Roberts. Thank you so much. Come back on the show and uh, let us know what's going on in these projects as they come along. And we got to catch up with so much other stuff. I have to ask you about. <laughs> I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much again. I really, really appreciate you giving me the time. I, I uh, thank you so much, and I, I really love the show. So I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Well, stay on the line for me. We're going to play out with a little bit of Rhett Madison. 
This is Fleas, and you're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Actually, it's your dad. 